Welcome to Sonic's Flight, the podcast devoted to all things Sonics. Sonic's Flight is a monthly podcast discussing current events, news, and topics of interest to the Sonics community. We aim to entertain and educate builders and pilots of Sonics aircraft designs, inspiring them to complete and operate their aircraft safely and efficiently. Welcome to the Sonics Flight Podcast. This is episode number 67, Catching Up with Sonics Aircraft. So it's been quite some time since our last conversation with Sonics, and we thought it was about time to catch up and see what they're up to. Let's find out what's been happening at the factory and what we can expect from them in 2020. My name is Jeff Schultz, builder and pilot of Sonic 604 and Sonics 1374, and joining me once again is my good buddy Gary Motley. John Gillis, unfortunately, is MIA. He's probably uh, sipping Mai Tais on a beach someplace, so we'll figure out what's up with him later. Gary is a longtime pilot. He's a former CFI and a multi-time airplane builder. Gary, how's it going? Doing well, buddy. Doing well. I just wish I could get some more flying time in. Uh, as we spoke just a few minutes before the recording here, it was snowing a little bit here this evening, and but I'm expecting some really nice weather in the 60s and sunny skies for the weekend, so I can do my usual uh, three or four hours a day. Well, and if the uh, the weather's no good for the for the plane, you know, you can always jump on the new bike and go do a little bit of that. Yeah, we got bunches of new bikes. Even got a new one for my wife last weekend as well. We had to go up to Cheyenne, Wyoming to pick it up. Brand new, out of the crate, less than a half a mile on it. So it's a cute little thing. I'm looking forward to riding some more of that as well. Yeah, good deal. Joining us is Mark Schabel. He is the general manager of Sonics Aircraft. You guys all know Mark. He's the smiling face in the booth. Mark wears a lot of different hats at Sonics Aircraft and has been working on some really exciting stuff this past year or so. So let's jump right into this. First off, Mark, thanks for taking some time out of your busy schedule and, uh, and talking to us. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. And, you know, speaking of all this exciting stuff, I want to just jump right into the two-place jet. So saw that you had a, a really nice, very thorough update a couple of weeks ago about the progress on the R&D. Maybe you can just update us on how is the two-place jet coming? Yeah, it's going well. Um, we um, sometimes it's hard to convey, um, which is why the, the update was so detailed. Sometimes it's hard to convey um, what you're doing when you haven't actually made any parts yet. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the change in the last few years is we've gotten into solid modeling uh, with CAD with SolidWorks. Um, instead of 2D drawing for a lot of our R&D stuff. And that typically does delay the, the, the point at which we actually start making parts and, and cutting metal. But uh, the, the reason, the good part of that is that when we do start cutting metal, um, it goes a lot quicker. So um, we've been spending a lot of time in SolidWorks and, of course, a lot of time on just the engineering itself, the spreadsheets and everything, and um, working on uh, everything from uh, obviously spending a lot of time on the wing and the main spar and um, uh, everything else, how things fit together, uh, a lot of time spent on making the cockpit a uh, comfortable fit for a wide range of people. And... Uh, uh, you name it. How are we going to fit the fuel in it? How are we going to fit the gear? Um, what has to get bigger? What, uh, you know, how can we save weight? Uh, all of those things. So we're really pleased with the progress so far. Um, we do have a lot left to do. 
looking forward to uh, uh, committing some parts to real physical parts here in the uh, well, late winter. I would say, you know, later in February, uh, maybe uh, yeah, towards the end of February, uh, we'll start seeing some some actual physical prototype parts um, coming out, and I uh, hope to be able to start publishing more frequent updates. Um, as that more, you know, maybe a little bit more exciting visual stuff starts to happen. Well, we are, you're, uh, you're yeah, a lot of for you these days with the SolidWorks. I'm sorry, Gary, I didn't hear the first part of that. I said, who's doing most of the the engineering and input there on your SolidWorks these days for the aeronautical side? Yeah, so we have a CAD designer uh, named Jason. Um, he's on our website, Jason Kamichek, and um, he's our SolidWorks jock. Um, and he's been with us for oh, about five years now doing that. Um, and um, the um, uh, we actually uh, hired an engineer uh, by the name of Mike Keck. Um, he's a pretty recent hire, so he's not on the website yet. We usually wait for folks first year full time, you know, uh, first full year full time anniversary before we put them on the website. Um, um, Otherwise, it, uh, we joke it tends to be a curse if we put people on the website too early. So you got to get through the probationary period. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> well, Mike's Mike's a pretty bright kid, um, and um, he uh, he's uh, fits in pretty well. Um, and um, yeah, we've had uh, meetings with Pete Buck. He still does have a hand in things and, and graciously helps us out. Um, uh, and it gives us good advice. Um, I'm really excited to, um, report, I don't want to overstate this, but I'm really excited to report that I've been getting involved in some of the engineering more now as, uh, as I've been kind of picking up some of the skills and, uh, with a lot of help and, and, you know, sort of mentoring from Pete. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really proud to say, well, I, I guess I'll be proud after the load test, uh, goes well, but I'm proud to say that the, a lot of the main wing spar work, uh, is work that I I've done on the two place jet. So, um, always fun to learn something new. So and it's, it's been a blast. Well, if Pete is going to rub off a little bit on you, I think you're in good hands. Yeah, so far. I mean, I run, I run uh, a lot of stuff through him uh, as a double check, and uh, he's been uh, very happy with uh, with what I've done and the level of detail that I put into it. So, um, yeah, it, it's been it's been good. And then, of course, you know, John is uh, is the the primary designer on the project, and um, um, you know, he's uh, really the one driving how things are going to uh, be shaped and go together and. Uh, um, and that's, uh, that's his role, of course. So Mark, maybe just to take a tiny step backwards, the trying to just help people understand like how far along the, the development process you've got the, the basic configuration is all locked in things like how long mm -hmm. the fuselage and the, the wingspan and all that, all that stuff is done. And you're working on yep. the, just sort of the details to bring it all together. Is that about right? Yeah, so even at, at Air Venture time, we had the basic layout of the airplane all set. We knew what the wingspan was going to be. We knew what the fuselage length was going to be, tail moments, um, et cetera. We had, although a rougher concept of it at the time, we had a really pretty good idea of what the cockpit was going to be and what we wanted to do with it. Um, and it was interesting because um, I talked so much to people at Air Venture that I didn't realize that a lot of the stuff we even had done by then, we never – 
we never actually published on the website until I started writing this update. Um, things like the curved fuselage sides and other features that are going to, you know, make the cockpit more roomy. But uh, yeah, so we did have a lot. In the process between then and now, a lot of it has been the actual engineering work, uh, the work on the wing and the spar. Um, uh, we did have a little bit of work to refine the tail um, uh, that actually we were even working on with Pete actually at the show, towards the end of the show. And we continued that. And then, yeah, the, the, the rest of it was filling the empty uh, shell that people saw at AirVenture with with parts and structural parts. So um, uh, a, a lot of how do things fit together well, you know, and, and optimizing that, of course, um, and weight and balance scenarios and, uh, you know, uh, fuel is a big big uh, uh, a part of our time is how we manage the fuel and trying to get uh, another 10 gallons into the system at 50 gallons and having two people and having enough useful load and having good CG range of the airplane. Um, that all is stuff that takes time. And, um, and control system as well. We spend a bit of time in the control system. Um, so that's, uh, that's uh, very far along now as well. Yeah, I saw that in some of your update photos. Um, the elevator push rod was in there and you could see the bell crank. And so it just, it was apparent that some of the detailed design was starting to come together because now you could put that in the, in the ghost drawings. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, and some of this is, uh, you know, time uh, we put into it now with Mike and mentoring and, and getting him up to speed. Um, you know, although he's a degreed engineer, he's, uh, uh, this is really his first aircraft job. And, uh, and also, you know, uh, he's new to working with us. So there's a lot of sonic specific techniques and things that we do in designing an airplane that we have to bring him up to speed on. And, uh, so that's, so we've been doing that, obviously my, my time getting up to speed on the engineering work, there's a factor in there as well. Um, so that was, a uh, you know, quite a bit of time this fall, uh, was the stuff that I was doing and, you know, next time I'll do it quicker, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's what we've been doing. Mm -hmm. Mark, um, I know that initially there was high hopes for the big engine from PBS, and you had said right from the from the start. I think John even mentioned this in the presentation at AirVenture. It'll be it'll fly just fine on the existing engine, but right. now the update you're saying that it looks like the the bigger engine is definitely off in the distance, not necessarily something that you're going to be able to roll out with the prototype. Can you just maybe yeah. assure all of us out here that the small existing engine is going to be awesome in this thing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the, the even though we we talked about the the bigger engine, the new engine being the TJ one fifty, in in the original announcement that we were working on the jet, you know, maybe we shouldn't have talked about it because we really were never designing the airplane for that bigger engine. We were always designing it for the current engine. Really important thing to remember is that the wing loading between the single place jet and the two place jet are is very similar. And um, so that's a big factor in being able to use the same power plant. Uh, will the performance be as spectacular? No. And that's the price you pay for adding a second body. Uh, that's just the way it is. Um, and yeah, of course, we're hoping that we can eke a little more power out of these engines uh, without sacrificing durability or, or maintenance interval time. This airplane will fly well. It will fly safely. Um, it will have good numbers. But it won't be quite as fast um, as the single place. The single place will always be the thoroughbred performer. 
Uh, and that'll be true even when the bigger engine comes along because we'll be able to put the bigger engine on the single place too. This is kind of like a 1X and a Sonics type comparison. Put the same engine in it, 1X is going to go a bit faster, be a little sportier. But the same engine will fly a two-place Sonics, just like the two-place jet. Yeah, I would say the performance differences between the 1X and the Sonics aren't as big, uh, not quite as big of a gap as what we'll have between the single-place and two-place jet in terms of cruise speed. Um, you know, we're probably looking at about a probably about a 20 mile an hour cruise speed difference between the two airplanes. Rate of climb shouldn't shouldn't suffer too much again because we have good good wing area and um, like I said, similar wing loading. Although we do have uh, less little less power loading. Fuel is a huge variable too, so you'll have a lot of flexibility with the airplane in a training environment. Um, you know, take off with a little less fuel. Uh, if you're staying in the local area on a training mission, uh, let's say you get a, a student who's a little bigger than you'd like or or something. Um, so that's that's always uh, an option. The thing about the jet is because you have such a big fuel load, and that's true even of the single-place jet, but especially with the two-place, uh, with a big fuel load like that, big for us Sonics guys, right? It's uh, it's a big variable. There's a lot of variables that you can play in, uh, in how you set the airplane up for each flight. Mm-hmm. Well, it looks like it's coming right along. I'm, I'll be excited to see the uh, prototype. Hopefully, you'll have something to show off at AirVenture. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, like I said, we're, we're looking forward to getting more updates published. Uh, we need to, uh, uh, here in the next couple of months, we need to schedule a webinar uh, with EAA, with, uh, with John, and, uh, and have him talk about the airplane um, and uh, get some slides up and take some Q&A. And um, so we'll continue to put that out there you know we we started this whole um method of designing airplanes um publicly or in in the public eye uh with the one x and uh well i shouldn't say that we started it really with the xenos and um it's it's interesting it's um it's 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 cool because people get to watch it develop and uh, get excited about it and um and then you know what we started with the one x and then did with the single place jet and now with this is uh giving the people the opportunity to uh, reserve their places with a refundable deposit like we're doing now with the two-place jet again that's always been a pretty successful program for us it's really helpful to know um you know about how many jets are we going to have to build and and get a start on uh, that inventory uh when when it comes time to start ordering parts and those sorts of things but um we're always very conscious that because you know we're not doing this quietly we're doing this very publicly uh this development process um we got we got to get out there and publish some regular updates and um uh, we, we were silent for for longer than I would have liked this fall after AirVenture with updates, but uh, but there was a lot of work going on, and, and uh, we're looking forward to getting more frequent and bigger volume of information out there for people to follow. Well, and Mark, one thing I think that's really worked in your favor, the Kit Planes article series from Paul Dye on, on building his jet. That's been a really fun series. Uh, I kind of get to maybe live a little vicariously through him, and he writes about it. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I can't I can't say enough good things about Paul, just as a person um, and and as a, a builder and a pilot, and the the work that he did for Kit Planes, uh, you know, uh, one for the magazine itself. I think it was he 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 did great things for the magazine, having nothing to do with Sonics, of 
um, and just the magazine in general. And um, sad to see him go in the editor in chief position uh, as he um, now is editor at, editor at large. But the the uh, the article series has been great, uh, great to follow it. I think um, the the thing that really shines is for people to get a, a look at just how complete the kit is. You know, when Paul shows a picture in one of the, I think it was the first article in the series that, you know, holy cow, even the batteries are included. Um, you know, that's, uh, I think, making an impression and um, and people are getting excited about the kit. So, yeah, we're looking forward to getting him, uh, you know, to fly the two place when it's ready to, for media flights. And um, uh, he was also featured in Sport Aviation this month. If you got your digital edition email, I think yesterday they went out. Um, he's in there as well with his jet uh, when it was at Air Ventures. So um, getting a lot of exposure. Uh, it's been great. Okay. Well, I guess maybe um, this is a good time since we're talking about Air Venture and sort of the things leading up to Air Venture. Maybe you can just sort of give us a, a good roll up on how 2019 was for Sonic, some of the highlights and some of the, you know, how, help everybody understand how you see it from the GM position. Yeah, um, 2019 was an interesting year um, and, and a good year. Boy, it seems, you know, it's hard for me to remember six months ago <laughs> because we've been so busy, which is great. Um, it, uh, we, I would say we, 2019, we teed up a lot of work uh, that we really uh, started to see the benefits of um, late in the year and now into 2020. So um, you obviously did, did work on the two-place jet leading up to AirVenture and the announcement of the airplane, did a lot of work this fall on it. A lot of work with uh, traditional jet customers, and um, and now we've got um, those those jobs. We're currently working on twelve jets oh, for wow. customers, all spoken for in the quick build shop. Um, and then the other side of it is the unmanned business, uh, Sonics Aerospace, and um, that's not one that we really talk about or report on much. Um, I'm hoping that'll change very soon. Um, there's some customers, uh, for the airplane that, um, have, uh, a little bit of, uh, you know, wanting to hold cards close to their chest. Um, uh, this weekend's the Super Bowl, right? Yes. Okay. Well, you know, being so, in Kansas city, uh, you know, we, we can't forget about that. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, after well, two weeks ago, I lost interest. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> um, if, if you know what I mean, being in Wisconsin. So I, I, think it's safe to say, but, you know, when this comes out, I guess you'll get this published tomorrow uh, with Super Bowl coming up this Sunday. Um, for those customers in Florida, um, you may see a Taros on your television during halftime, um, Taros being our UAV. So um, Florida Power and Light is, uh, is uh, our first real customer for the Taros. And uh, we delivered uh, one uh, in December uh, to uh, NAVMAR Applied Sciences, who is our partner in the unmanned uh, work. And uh, they're prepared, now preparing it for the actual end user customer, who's uh, FPL. So uh, Florida Power and Light will be using this Taros. It's uh, what we call the C model of Taros, which we hope to be able to, uh, to publish more detail about soon what the C model is. Um, and uh, they'll be working uh, first uh, with the FAA an awful lot. The airplane will be actually quite a 
trailblazer in terms of uh, beyond line of sight regulations uh, for the for the national airspace system. So that's exciting. And uh, and ultimately, they want to use it to monitor power lines in the state of Florida. So um, it'll have a lot of thermal imaging uh, on board and um, it will uh, it'll be patrolling the power lines in, in Florida. And uh, there's a lot of other power companies now that are seeing this and becoming very interested. So um, another niche being carved out by uh, for the Taros. And uh, that's really excited. And obviously, FPL is really excited in that they've spent the money. Granted, it's just a regional ad, but they've uh, produced a television ad for uh, for the Super Bowl about uh, about the Taros. Yeah, well, that's some exciting, you know, cutting edge stuff. Yeah, or at least including the Taros. I don't know if the whole thing is about it, but yeah. they came to our shop uh, last year and um, in the fall and uh, uh, did a whole bunch of shooting uh, over the course of a very full day. And I think some of the content they shot at Sonics will be sort of the um, uh, for more information type with videos that'll be on their website as a companion to the to the TV spot. Um, and uh, yeah, pretty neat, pretty proud of that, and just where that the airplane, where who the customer is, where it's going. Um, really pleased with that. Now, Mark, um, we saw a couple of prototypes in the workshop at AirVenture. Were were these some of those, or were those? Yeah, that was. So those were Taro C. So, if the biggest difference that you'll notice just by looking at it is that, um, um, you know, it's not. It's obviously not just a Xenos that we put on TriGear and uh, blacked out the windows. It's, uh, you know, the turtle deck is a little lower, um, and uh, you know, it's there's obviously no real cockpit. There's no windshield to look out of in front. It just goes from the cowling straight back to the tail. And um, and a couple of really big equipment bays looking downward, I suppose, which is what the customer cares about. Yeah, and Taros number one had that too. Um, the big, uh, um, the big optical optics turret holes in the forward fuselage, and one in the aft fuselage, um, and um, um, that uh, that AeroV powered Taros number one was AeroV turbo powered, still had the same uh, windshield and canopy on it. Um, but obviously not being, you know, used by anyone, but they still need the interior space for, for things like SATCOM antennas and obviously fuel, a lot of fuel being put into that airplane, right? You know, trying to keep it all in the CG. Um, but Taro C has got a higher thrust line because it's using a Lycoming engine, um, a 235, um, and, um, it's kind of interesting when you see a Sonics vehicle in scale with a Lycoming in, in, engine installation. Um, it's pretty funny because, um, you know, Sonics are small airplanes. I mean, even though the Xenos and, of course, and the Taros have, you know, 40-foot wingspans, so they're, they're small airplanes, fuselages, you know, with short gear, low to the ground. Uh, and, the, of course, the Lycoming has to swing a big prop, so the thrust line has to be raised uh, such that if you were to sit in the airplane, you wouldn't be able to see out past the engine, you know, forward. You know, you'd have to be sitting way taller, which would which would look ridiculous on that on that small fuselage, mm -hmm. relatively small fuselage. Um, so before anyone gets too excited, no, we're not developing Lycoming and Continental engine installations on the manned kit aircraft. Um, but for this airplane, for the Taros, um, it was a decision basically that we mutually came up with with Navmar. Um, 
that uh, one, uh, the Taros, they're, they're working to get it type certified. Um, so that'll be a process for us, for sure. A lot of it will take some work. And, um, and so they needed a certified engine. And um, uh, they, they basically wanted to be able to hand these things to a customer and have any A&P off the straight have some idea what to do with servicing the engine. Yeah, that um, makes sense for that application. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, we're um, actually currently uh, we we delivered Taro C model uh, number one for FPL in uh, in December, and um, you'll see more official announcements of that soon, and um, um, and it just you know within hopefully a week or two, and um, uh, and we've got three other Taros's to build. So the second one that you saw at AirVenture that is not. Uh, left our shop yet, um, and some of that has to do with changes that uh, the customers wanted, you know, little tweaks that they wanted to the design, um, and um, or features they wanted added, I, I should say, um, like a bigger fuel tank, for instance. Um, and then we got two more to build after that. So we've got a lot of work. Um, uh, we need people in the shop, so if anyone uh, wants to come to Wisconsin and drill and deburr holes for us uh, for for a um, uh, for a few dollars an hour, well, more than a few dollars an hour. <laughs> Let us know. Uh, we, you know, we've been using the uh, the tech students from Fox Valley Technical College, the A and P students, uh, which has worked out really great. But um, um, you know, it's just um, it's becoming a very competitive job market, as everybody's been hearing in the news, and especially for A and P mechanics. And now, uh, you know, we kind of started a trend. The local people like Gulfstream and Appleton and uh, Basler Turbo here in Oshkosh, um, you know, they all saw what we were doing and hiring students, and they thought, "Hey, what a great idea! Let's let's steal their students. Let's let's hire hire Fox Valley Tech students." So it's right. uh, <laughs> it's been very become very competitive uh, trying to find people, and um, uh, but it's been great a great relationship with the technical college in terms of the students, uh, what we're able to offer them in terms of a f- pretty flexible schedule. They work. After class in the afternoon, they could work basically more or less a second shift type hours and um, part time. They're not putting in full time hours and they learn a lot, get a lot of hands on. You know, great part about working for a small company like Sonics is uh, there's a lot of variety. Even though you might be tasked with something very specific, you you get to see and learn a lot of things uh, that you may not be directly involved with, but it's not um you're not stovepiped like you would be in a, in a big shop in a big company. Um, so uh, our people, uh, you know, if they're if they're open to it and, and pay attention, they learn a lot and they usually do really great work. And uh, so we've got a really, really good quick build program. We just need more of them. Yeah. Well, that's a good resource. So, yeah, we'll uh, we'll send everybody. We can round up your way. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Well, maybe switch shifting to the next thing in my list here. Do you foresee or are you working on any further, maybe evolution or refinements to the B model line? Nothing really on the table right now. Um, honestly, we just we, we, we haven't had uh, much time to think about it. Uh, but uh, of course, we're always open to customer feedback and what, what people may want to see. Um, I would say, by and large, the B model is pretty well locked in at this point. 
you know, we're, we're always looking to make kit, kit parts improvements. Um, you know, one of the things, uh, the Xenos, for instance, we're, we're building more and more of those as quick builds. Um, certainly not at the volume of the other airplanes, but more than we used to. So uh, the Xenos has always lagged behind a little bit and in um, the completeness of the parts. Um, so, uh, you know, we're, we're looking at right now a couple of things that we might uh, bring up to speed with the other B-model kits to uh, make it go together quicker in our shop. Um, Mark, that's not that, really surprising. And this is, this is just my opinion. It's totally unqualified. But I think yeah. that um, a Xenos appeals to more of a flyer rather than a, maybe a builder. And so they're looking to get in the air and take advantage of kind of that unique capability as quick as possible. And so I, I totally uh, would anticipate that quick builds would be the most attractive way to buy a Xenos. Yeah, I, I think for a lot of people, especially since the Xenos is a pretty big project, um, it it's, uh, you know, especially the wings. The wings are, are, are definitely a, a big project, a lot of holes, a lot of rivets, a lot of metal. So, um, yeah, that's uh, been popular for folks to do as a quick build. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, you know, that translates directly to what we do with Taros when we, when we work on the core Xenos airframe. Yeah. Well, on the vein of more updates, any update or news on the turbo and specifically any, anything further to report on the, the cooling system? Is that the final configuration? Any feedback from customers in the field? Yeah, I uh, I would say the cooling system is uh, pretty well fixed uh, at this point, or you know, uh, set at this point. Um, feedback from customers has been very good, um, and uh, and we're we're pretty happy with it. I think we're we're there. Um, we're keeping it still pretty open source. In other words, um, you know, I don't I don't really see us departing from the bill of materials method that we have and just give, giving people a list of vendors because um, the installations are varied. Um, our primary installations have all been B model uh, firewalls and, um, you know, a model might need slightly different, you know, um, fittings and, and things of that sort of thing in terms of some of the plumbing. One um, X of course is, different yet and especially uh, a turbo 1x because things are really tight on the firewall so um you know i think i think that the the turbo and the turbo cooling system in specific is pretty well going to be locked in and the way you see it now um uh going forward and again we may have slight enhancements down the road as things come up but yeah. the feedback's been really good well good i I had heard just a few people talking about they they were still interested. They were taking kind of a wait and see. Um, I, mm-hmm. I I don't know. I don't know how prevalent that attitude is, but you know, I think everybody wants the raw data of you know how how are people actually doing with them. And if you're not getting a lot of issues popping up and and time is building on them successfully, I think that's a good trend. We don't get a lot from people other than anecdotal yeah it's been going great kind of conversations we don't get a whole lot of numbers from people they haven't really been sending us much um and some of that's good because people typically only send you that stuff when there's a problem mm-hmm. um you know uh, but i guess yeah, if anyone has got turbo data of their own and they want to send it in uh good bad or indifferent obviously we want to receive it um and but yeah by and large everyone that's out there operating actively flying that we've talked to um, since our last, uh, really our last cooling system update, um, 
personally, everyone I've talked to is things have been going well. Um, and I think that I think Carrie would say the same uh, as well on that front. Yeah, and maybe just a plug for Carrie. Somebody out there probably just needs to take the time to call up Carrie and just uh, <laughs> give him nothing but praise and compliments and good info rather than problems and, and complaints. Yeah, I mean, I, people have been doing that from time to time, um, and, and, which is always great. Obviously, obviously, it never happens enough. But uh, yeah, I mean, Carrie's, uh, um, you know, obviously our longest tenured non-family member employee, um, and uh, he's uh, been uh, prolific now in kid planes, as people have seen with his column, monthly column, and some feature articles as well. And uh, so that's. Um, Really great to see him uh, grow in that way professionally, and um, and yeah, he's still the same old Carrie uh, uh, taking care of business. Yeah, well, he has a tough job and he does it well, so my hats off to him. Yeah, absolutely. So maybe uh, maybe going into a little bit of a I don't know a sticky topic. So sure. you know, John John's been wanting to retire, and I use kind of the air quotes, you know, air quotes retire, you know, for a yeah, couple yeah. of years now. Um, is he is he failing miserably still at retiring, or is he getting closer, or what's his plan? Yeah, he sucks at retirement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, it's I, I think you know things are still too exciting for him, uh, which is a great thing. Um, but at the end of the day, this is John's passion. You know, I think he he is still got an eye on you know what is the exit strategy, but it's not an emergency and. Um, He's still he's still too, having too much fun. Yeah, and I'm not suggesting that he should hurry up and go. Uh, it's more about just um, we just kind of want to know what's on his mind. And if he says, you know, like like you put it, he's having too much fun to take a day off. Well, that's probably a good sign that more good things are coming. Yeah, I think the message is that for people that you know maybe are concerned about this in terms of the future of the company, or you know, should I buy a kit? I hear it's for sale. Uh, Sonics is going to be around and uh, it's going to be around even when John isn't. And uh, for the people concerned that they don't, the concerned about the company because maybe he's not involved, rest assured he is involved. You know, we are thinking about what comes next. I think it'll be in good hands and, um, and uh, there will be, there, there definitely will be a Sonics after John. Yeah. And I think like you said, it's probably a good way to, to put it. There's no sense of emergency here. No, not at all. Yeah. Well, you know, kind of, you know, looking looking ahead and looking behind at the same time, it's pretty exciting that um, the company has reacquired the rights to the Sonari. So what's the plan with that? Yeah, boy, interesting. Um, it, uh, you know, really, it we, we didn't want to see the Sonari die in the vine. It's the one design from uh, Monad Experimental Aircraft that, that kept going. Um you know, uh, out of the, you know, between the Sonari, the Moni and the Monari, the Sonari is the, the first one and the one that kept going and um, through all these years. And Fred Kipe, um, you know, just had been doing it for five or six years and, and just, you know, was taking too much of his time. He didn't want to do it anymore. He wanted to enjoy retirement. So we didn't want to see it. Uh, we didn't want to see it go away. Um, so we, we, we brought it up back in house. Uh, really plans? Um, not really. Uh, you know, we don't have any big plans about you know, changes or, you know, kidding out the Sonari to the level of a Sonics or anything like that. You're going to see more of the same, really. 
in terms of the Sonorite, same plans, uh, the same list of parts, essentially, uh, that now we'll be selling instead of Fred. Um, and, and that's really what the plan is. So, um, you know, in the interests of managing expectations, you know, no, we will not have Sonorite quick build kits anytime soon. We'll, you know, we won't be having, you know, kits with, uh, that fall together out of the box, like modern, uh, you know, kits and B model kits and that sort of thing, um, or jet kits. Um, but we're, we are going to keep the airplane going as long as there are people out there that want to build it. And, and it's a scratch build project. And, and so uh, as long as people are wanting to scratch build and, and, and are wanting the Sonorai, we'll, we'll, keep, we'll keep offering it. So selling plans obviously is the first step, but I don't know what is currently available in terms of wing spars yeah. and welded fuselage and stuff like that. Are you going to add a section to the website with – parts as, as yeah. this kind of shapes out or how's that going to work yeah we're working on that actively right now um obviously it'll get its own page on the website uh, as, as each individual aircraft model does and uh we're offering sonari one sonari two and sonari two stretch and all the variations you know the mid-wing the low wing tri-gear the tail dragger um, but it's essentially three different sets of plans, you know, one, two, and two stretch. And uh, same set of hand-drawn plans. Um, we are scanning them um, because uh, really through all these years, they've been paper originals that just keep getting duplicated. So uh, we want to get them scanned and um, um, we'll be cleaning them up a little bit in terms of uh for anyone familiar with the set of sonorite plans you might notice some revisions or just hand sort of hand notated things crossed out and new numbers or or, or notes put in we're going to try to clean that up a little bit um keeping um you know some re better revision tracking on our on our in-house copies of the plans unfortunately there's not a lot of real estate on that the sonorite plans page format to have a revision log on the customer set of plans like you see with sonics drawings but we'll have that kind of off in the margins on the electronic file that we have here and um and any revisions that we make um that are new now since we've gotten it back we'll keep a revision log on the website for sonic right like we do the other airplanes um so that's gonna that's a bit of a project uh, just getting them all scanned getting them organized and getting you know ready to, to do that and then doing the website uh there's not a big list of parts um it's cowlings uh, wheel pants um wing tips um wing ribs uh ailerons uh, you know the press brake uh, ailerons just like the control surfaces on the sonics uh, I'm sure I'm missing something, but basically the same list of parts that are currently on sonari.com. Uh, we basically all of his inventory we brought in and, uh, and we'll be selling those parts and, and, you know, restocking and, and, sell, and selling those parts as demand requires. Um, we may expand that over time. You know, maybe we'll start doing sonari canopies again, um, as we get time to, you know, get back into that. Um, that sort of thing. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, nothing revolutionary. There, there is no, um, currently no one is offering a pre-welded fuselage for the Sonorai. Um, so that's, that's not going to change for the time being. Um, our welding vendor is just too busy to add a, add that to his plate right now. Um, we'll see what the demand looks like 
and uh, whether you know we we find a welder with enough time in their schedule to be able to build you know weld up fuel, full fuselages for people. Um, and other interesting ways we could go, and we'll just see what happens and what demand brings. Um, you know, and I know there's some you know since. Um, obviously this is the first time I've ever dealt with a rag and tube airplane in the business setting. And so, and obviously since, uh, John had the Sonari last, you know, there's been a lot of advancements in terms of just, you know, pre-cut tubes for steel fuselages and, you know, already coped and everything. So that may be something interesting that if enough people want it, we, you know, maybe engage one of the vendors out there and do that in the future. But, um, nothing really immediately on the horizon to that end and, until we get a chance to investigate some of the options. Yeah. And I'm sure that kind of stuff, you know, will respond to demand. If, if it's out there, one of those specialty vendors can, can package up a tube kit from a set of plans and send it yeah. to a builder. Um, it's all exactly. kind of driven by, by who wants what. So super cubs, they're all over it. One off, yeah. you know, slow volume experimentals, maybe, maybe a little bit later to the, get to that point. Right. Yeah. And, you know, obviously we have WB parts and, and, uh, you know, depending on, um, and I have to apologize, my familiarity with the Sonary plans obviously aren't up to speed with the Sonic stuff. Um, but as we, um, you know, maybe we'll investigate a hardware kit from WB parts for Sonari. And again, depending on volume, how many people are really going to start new builds and what are the number of variations in terms of, uh, you know, Sonari is pretty versatile design. So there are a lot of variations between mid wing, low wing, stretch, not stretch, tri gear, tra tail dragger, all of that. So if it doesn't get too complicated, you know, that might be something that we look into as well in terms of a hardware kit. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good start. You know, everything that's currently available will continue to be available and they can always just reach out to you directly if, uh, if they want to let you know that there's a demand out there waiting to be filled. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that isn't in the Sonaray plans is, uh, you know, uh, really provisions for the modern V. So that is one thing that's on John's um, list of things to do that he's actively working on for the Sonaray is just, um, you know, making the space for the starter, you know, uh, which will be a box in the firewall. It'll have to come through the firewall on the two on the two seat sunrise. Um, and other people have done it. It's not we're not reinventing the wheel, but it's just getting the plans um, amended to show that uh, for folks to to use the current V. A little slight change in how you weld up the the bolt points on the on the front of the fuselage uh, for engine mounting, um, things like that. Well, you ought to uh, go over to uh, Chapter 100 and whisper in their ear that they ought to do a chapter scratch build. Uh, I will do that. And then you can use that as your uh, R&D mule to figure all this yeah. stuff out. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, a lot, we have most of it. And actually, a lot of it came from Drew Waterworth when he did his mid-wing Sonarai. Um, God, what's that been now? 15 years or whatever uh, ago, a long time ago. Um, we actually helped him do that all those modifications to fit the current Aero-V to it. And um, it turned into a beautiful airplane. Actually, it was uh, an airplane he bought already flying. I think somebody had a Corvair on it, if you can imagine that, on a Sonarai. <laughs> um, and um, he re, you know, re, basically rebuilt it and just turned it into a gorgeous airplane. Yeah. Well, speaking of engines, uh, I'm curious, how have people been responding to the Rotax 912 engine mounts and the UL power mounts that are out there as options now? Pretty good. 
Um, I would say that, um, you know, the people that uh, have been wanting those options have been embracing it. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, uh, I think you're going to see as some of these projects get flying, uh, you're going to see more of them come up on our website, uh, flying around with those engines. Um, uh, you know, the thing is, you know, the Aero-V is still really popular. And now that even though we offer these options, uh, Aero-V and of course, Jabiru 3300 is still pretty popular. Um, so, you know, I guess we got something right back in the, back in the early days, uh, with that, with regards to that. But, uh, yeah, still, uh, you know, I think I think it's a um, uh, different. You know, obviously, you know, different opinions, different um, uh, people are attracted to different engines for different reasons, and and the people that are that are attracted to the Rotaxes, uh, you know, have embraced it in terms of ordering that engine mount for the kit and going forward with that installation. Yeah, I think everybody, like you say, they're going to make their own choices. Uh, I'm glad that they have. They have the ability to to buy a Rotax mount or a UL power mount if they want. Um, to a degree, that just primes the pump of future development and things like that. So I'm glad to see that that's out there. Yeah, absolutely. That's why we did it. Gary, I feel like I have been monopolizing this. Uh, you have anything on your mind? Well, we all know that you like to talk, Jeff. So that's fine. <laughs> between between you and Mark, I'm I'm low man on the pole. That's for sure. Yeah, I, I apologize. I tend to be uh, extra verbose, especially in the evening when I get tired like this. <laughs> no problem, no problem. We just like hearing you know your spiel on things and, and hear what's going on. And um, so you know, just in general, I mean, let's just talk about your products that you have out there. Uh, what still is probably the most popular kit? Sonics, YX. We know that Xenos is kind of like the third man, but you know it's been it's been interesting to watch. It changes, um, and, and you know right now um, we're selling. Well, one, we're selling way more jets than we ever thought we would. Um, you know, seriously, and for for as niche of an airplane that it is, um, that's a big part of our annual revenue right now. Um, and, um, YX, YX seems to sell better than the Sonics now, um, for us. And, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like, um, you know, we always used to joke about it back in, in the, in the day when we had the, uh, the polished Sonics out there at the show and on the website, people would ask us, well, can you paint it? (laughs) Yeah, of course you can paint it. (laughs) And then when we started having painted airplanes, well, can you polish it? Yes, you can. <laughs> Everybody tends to do what we have out there and that's the most visible on our website or in media or whatever. And, of course, obviously Red One being the first flying B model, the, the flagship of the B models, if you will, is the most public, um, most visible B model in our factory fleet. So that's what everyone seems to be buying. Um, and, uh, um, you know, uh, obviously, yeah, Sonics is, uh, is, is out there. It's a great choice. It's basically the same airplane with, with a different tail. That's the original. Uh, and, yeah, there are people building that. But the YX is outpacing it, and, uh, which is great because, um, you know, it's, uh, we love it. It looks cool. And that's the only reason we built it. And um, people, I think, are finally getting, the, uh, getting it that, no, it doesn't 
hunt like a bonanza and um you know that the, it's a y tail and and that, that makes a difference instead of a v tail and and all those sorts of things well and there have been at, at least two yx's on the cover of kit planes that i can think of um drew had his and lou pappas had had his actually i think he had both of his airplanes in kit planes and mm-hmm. um they just they look so good you know in print like that so i think that that definitely yeah. stirs up lots of interest yeah, I mean, in fact, um, um, Kip's airplane, which of course has been around for a long time, but is still beautiful, um, is uh, in Sport Aviation this month, full page air to air photo in the member benefit spotlight about EAA insurance program. And it's wow. just this gorgeous, uh, gorgeous in trail air to air vertical shot of Kip's, uh, Kip's YX. And, um, so that's just always uh, so cool to see. Um, I still get a, yeah, I still, I still love and love to see our stuff in the magazine, especially when it's, uh, you know, uh, shown so, so nicely. You never, you never get over that. It never gets old. Yeah. Well, I was just wondering if you'd be able to speak about just general production numbers per year, you know, maybe kits out the door versus those that, you know, are actually being registered and flying. <laughs> oh, um, yeah, I mean, I don't. I, we never like to get too detailed about sales numbers. Um, I'd say kits out the door has uh, been about average, um, you know, and and um, certain lines are improving, like the jet. Uh, obviously, the unmanned is a big uh, enhancer to uh, to our business line. Um, completion rate is um, it's been interesting. Um, it seems to go in spurts. Um, you know, uh, completions honestly have been a little quieter than I'd like to see uh, in the last couple of years. And, you know, I think some of that has been just some of the, um, you know, uh, some of the some of the global things going on that have nothing to do with Sonics. Um, some of the uncertainties in the world and the economy. You know, it's interesting, you know, I, I don't know about you guys and, and your in your professions, but you know when uh, they talk about how we've had this growing economy for the longest stretch in history, um, you know since the uh, since the Great Recession, um, you know it never felt like a full recovery to me. Um, and yeah, the economy's good. We're in a good place as as a business right now, but I think builders are still holding back a little bit. Um, and, um, and maybe that's just my, maybe I'm totally off base, but that just is my impression. I just feel like projects aren't progressing the way that they used to. People aren't, um, you know, I don't think they're spending the time and the money on this pursuit, um, that, that like they used to. Um, and, and a lot of it's weather related too. I mean, obviously it's winter time. We're not going to see the first flights that we, like we do, but, um, uh, you know, certainly we've made the airplane a lot easier to build with the B models. Uh, there's no, really not a lot of excuses to get the airplane done and flying. Um, it's purely anecdotally. I think I see things sometimes the completions just kind of seem to come in, in, in spurts uh, for whatever reason. All of a sudden you'll get a bunch of them that just kind of show up as being on a completion and being registered. Yeah, they do. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, um, you know, they'll come in twos or threes. Um, and that's how you see them on their website and then it'll be quiet for a while and then they don't, Maybe but, this is um, a thought, but you'd also kind of, or uh, somehow another thing we talked about it, or we mentioned this before. And also recently there's been a lot in the publications on AOPA as well as the print 
uh, about insurance problems now uh, yeah. in, in aviation in general and and perhaps even even a little bit more harsher on the experimental side. Anything yeah, like absolutely. That? Yeah, we I mean, we've we've talked about insurance and th- uh, on this podcast before uh, uh, when you guys have interviewed me, um, it's always an issue um, to be to be discussed in one way or another. Um, yeah, the insurance market is hardening. Uh, that AOPA article that came out recently was uh, a really well done article, um, and it's it it uh, mirrors a lot of the things that I've been hearing um, in um, in my committee work at EAA and just in general with uh, with customers. Um, and really, it's not it doesn't have as much to do with um, with aviation and pilots and accident rates as people would think. Um, yeah, it has a lot to do with what's going on in the larger insurance industry and just how big is the pot and and, um, and uh, are the insurance companies making enough money to cover their obligations. And they, so do you think not, you're increasing the aviation side to, to offset some losses in the other fields? Um, I think everything's increasing. Um, and... Um, you know, I don't think it's just aviation. And, um, you know, I don't think that the increases in um, the I don't think the increases in experimental aviation are as bad as they could be, especially compared to some other parts of aviation. Um, and I forget, I wish I could remember the specific examples that they gave in AOPA, but there's some stuff like helicopters and, uh, and some other things that are huge increases, doubling um, or more. They were talking um, about the owner-flown turboprops or, you know, like yeah, 300%. Yeah, that's another big one. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, I think there was a lot of really good advice in the article. I think there's been some really good advice in Sonic's talk, actually, in the last couple of days on the subject as well, um, about making a relationship with your insurance company. You know, um, you know, keeping being loyal to them with, you know, as, as you change aircraft through the years or obviously if you have more than one aircraft, um, that's your best path to success. Going over, you know, going doing more than you're than you're really asked to do in terms of showing how you're going to be a low risk in terms of your current training and um, your your hours, you know, your frequency of flying and not having big gaps in your flying and uh, going out and getting wings credits, you know, by listening to a webinar or, or something like that. I mean, all that stuff counts and um, and is going to help you. Um, I, I think anything you can do to show your agent or the underwriter that you are plugged in and engaged, you're actively looking for ways to improve your own proficiency and, and lessen their risk. They're going to respond favorably to that. I think that's why the the uh, the builder the Sonics Builders and Pilot Foundation transition training syllabus still is a valuable tool. It shows them that hey, I have a I have a, a logical, well thought out approach, and I'm going to follow this best practice, and I'm going to be a safer pilot, and you can reward me with a better premium. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I think that's very true, um, and. Um, um, I will say that the the, the the current foundation syllabus is something that I 
I send people the link to download that thing. I don't know how many times a week. Um, and it's been great. And, um, and we talk about it or uh, people have brought it up to me. And, um, like I said, in this, in the EA committee work that I do, uh, we're currently, I'm on a working group for, um, the, the next chapter, the next volume of that, of that EAA flight test manual that came out, uh, last, uh, last air venture. Um, and this next volume is focusing on used aircraft and um and uh and transition training as well and and just pilot preparedness as well as you know i would say pre-buy inspections are important and then just verifying the performance of a hand-built airplane you know did the owner pencil whip phase one or did he actually measure some things and and reduce data and come up with a good numbers in a in a poh those sorts of things and then how do you verify how do you test the airplane you just bought but uh, there's been discussions. It's, we're very early in the process on this new project, and um, and um, that, that that syllabus is uh, something that uh, the rest of the committee is looking at and reading actively um, as uh, as really good information um, to guide some of the things that we'll be doing in this uh, in this project. Mark, it's kind of a a bit of a diversion. I don't want to go too far down this road. But one of the things that maybe EA could help on this front is if they can find a way for maybe call it like the Good Samaritan CFI, where a CFI that has an RV or a Sonics or whatever, and they want to do some occasional part-time transition training in their own airplane, but they don't want to try to make a business out of this because, you know, you have to almost make a business to pay the insurance premium if you're going to do instructing in your airplane for somebody else. So maybe yes. there's a way to find a find a way to protect these CFIs who want to basically do it out of the goodness of their heart to help the community, but they know they're not going to make a primary business to pay the insurance bill. I think that there might be some room to carve out something there. Believe me, that has been discussed uh, both in the EAA Safety Committee that I sit on and in the Aircraft Kit Industry Association that I'm still um, waiting for someone to volunteer and 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 run that for me uh, again <laughs> it's like an ea chapter you just you know everybody nobody raises their hand every year um but uh no it, that has been an active uh, point of discussion and you know it's even hitting the vans market um so this isn't a sonics uh unique a problem unique to sonics um there are fewer and fewer people out there even offering transition training in rvs because the the cost to insure your airplane under a loda is just too high to make it worthwhile nobody's giving transition training as a full-time endeavor um so they can't justify that cost and so i have been very active in trying to get people together to try to get some kind of meaningful outreach to the insurance industry. Unfortunately, it's a very difficult group of people to talk to the insurance industry. You can't tell an insurance company what to do, but just trying to get across to them um, that this, if you want this transition training to take place, and I think I've, I've had the same discussion with you guys the last time we spoke. Um, if you want this transition training to take place, as much as you do, as much as you're demanding, as much as you're requiring it, as much as we all know it's good for safety, make it reasonable for these instructors to actually offer it. Um, it it's just, it doesn't make sense. It's, they're, they're, they're preventing the transition training from happening because of what they are charging for these policies um, for that specific use. And um, I've actually got Aaron Sauer at NTSB involved 
Uh, we actually just spoke about it again yesterday and trying to analyze accident statistics under LODA operations um, so that we can go to the insurance industry with some actual data and see, you know, what is the risk? It's dual instruction. People are never soloing. Students are never soloing in these airplanes. They're all licensed pilots. So, you know, they're students in a sense, but they're, you know, they're PIC. Um, um, you know, can we, can we have a, can we have a, a reasonable conversation about what the real risk risk level is here and and um maybe it's worth a little risk to have some more training happening yeah well i think that is going to be um, an area that we really need the big guns to come in and help keep pushing this conversation um it's hard for any one person to carry the weight of this and changing the perspectives but um i'm glad that you're still involved in it i'm glad that you're still continuing to drive this forward and I hope that we can get somewhere in the next, I don't know, a couple of years. Yeah, boy, it's been slow. Um, I've been talking about this for a long time now. Um, I think that, um, you know, a key is difficult because it's a very, it's a very, um, you know, we're all busy running our own businesses. So nobody has time uh, to work on anything. Uh, the AA work I do tends to long at a quicker pace. And I was very encouraged. Oh, gosh, it's probably been a about a year now, or maybe even a year and a half, since uh, Van started talking about it in the safety committee meetings as something affecting his fleet. I mean, I, I hate to hear it being a problem for anyone, but I was actually happy to hear him say that it's it, that it's affecting the Van's fleet because that gives it, you know, because he's Van, that gives it some legitimacy more than other people might be talking about it. And it's a huge fleet, so if it's affecting them, then this is something that is obviously not going the right direction and something needs to be done about it. Yeah. Okay. Well, good. Maybe we can touch base on that. When next time we have some positive movement, we can kind of catch everybody up on how, how the thing is going. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, um, you know, I always give you the opportunity to tell us about the next greatest thing. You always skillfully dodge the question. So I'm <laughs> going to give you that opportunity again. And I'm going to preface it by saying, you know, uh, Kit Fox, they are selling a lot of high wing bush planes <laughs> and Highlander and all the Cub clones and Zenith. You know, maybe they're on to some secret sauce that uh, you guys ought to think about finishing that design for your high wing prototype. So uh, anything you'd like to report on that? I'm sorry. What design for high? I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, I, I mum is the word. I, I, I tell you, we. It's just um, we need to design new airplanes, uh, no matter what they're going to be. That's how we stay. I mean, that's how we compete against. Frankly, that's how we compete against barnstormers. Our own airplanes on barnstormers, um, as I've told you guys before. Uh, I don't know what that next airplane is going to be. Uh, right now, that next airplane is going to be a two-place jet. And we'll see what the next one after that is. That's all I can say. Well, you need to get John excited about doing some uh, some fly camping to, you know, a little mountain strip or whatever. And I think, uh, you know, we talked about this, you know, of the realm of airplanes that you guys could possibly deliver to the market. I, I think the market would respond very favorably to a speedy high wing that filled that niche where it's not a 100 mile an hour Cub clone. But it has all the positive benefits of a Sonics, you know, the Sonics approach and, and building technique, but you get more speed and performance out of it. That's just me thinking. But, uh, you know, you just got to put that bug in John's ear and maybe uh, 
take him out and dump him off at a mountain strip and tell him you'll pick him up in a week and let him get bit by the bug. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, 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 I'm not. Yeah, I'm. I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so uh, once again, uh, you think your your streak is um, is been fully maintained on dodging that question. So thanks for that, or I should say, thanks for nothing. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> it, Mark, is there anything else um, that you think uh, people have been something's been on their mind, or something you want to just update everyone on, or? Um, let me think a minute. Um, no, I, you know, I, there really isn't anything, um, that's been, a an issue lately that I, that comes to mind. Um, I'm sure someone will hop online and correct me, <laughs> but, um, no, I, you know, I think, uh, uh, things have been good and, uh, things have been good for us. And that means, that means good things for the Sonic community, obviously, in terms of our stability. Um, uh, you know, obviously, um, there's always things we want to do, pro- million projects we want to tackle. Uh, we're moving down the road. We're moving, you know, moving our needle in that respect. Uh, there'll never be time for them all, or at least not right away. Um, there hasn't been a lot that, um, you know, I've really been hearing from customers about that uh, that they want from us uh, um, urgently, uh, things to fix or things to new things to offer um, beyond what we've been talking about already. And um, obviously, we're always open to that feedback. If you've got an airplane in mind that you really want us to design, um, let us know. Um, Sometimes I get emails periodically from the same two people about a certain project and nobody else. (laughs) So sorry, guys. (laughs) That doesn't bode well for your project idea. But, um, yeah, I mean, if you have a genuine interest in something that you think is a natural fit for us or something you'd like to see us do, uh, we definitely are like we want that feedback. That doesn't mean we're going to have it for you next year or in five years even. But if it gives, uh, if it's an idea that we jive with and we think maybe we ought to put it on the list, you never know. It might be next on the list. We'll see. Well, we know we'll see you at AirVenture. Um, are we going to see anybody from the factory at Sun and Fun? Not this year. So Sun and Fun has um, always been a bit of a question <laughs> for us. Uh, and uh, we're just way too busy this year. Um we didn't, uh, you know, we, we, we weren't, you know, last year, the last two years at Sun and Fun have been kind of quiet in terms of attendance and, and flow through the booth and, and everybody's booth, it seemed. And, um, you know, as much as I love going to Florida in April and escaping Wisconsin um, for, for a week, um, you know, we got to, it's got to pay off. And we, as well as other manufacturers, have been questioning that. ROI for a long time. As you know, we were away for many years, uh, for nine years, in fact, before going back in, uh, what was it, 05 or 2015. I'm sorry, uh, 2015. And um, uh, yeah, I don't, I, we're just not going to do it this year. I don't know about next year, maybe when we have a, a two place jet prototype to take on the road, um, you know, something like that might drive it. The, uh, the Subsonics Air Show will be there. Um, still, so Bob Carlton will be there with the jet, but it will not be exhibited out on the showgrounds. Um, yeah. And John, it doesn't coincide with any of John's trips uh, to um, to St. Pete, so he he will likely not be popping into the air show either. 
Well, maybe you need some volunteer brand ambassadors to go walk the line. Yeah, man, if they hadn't moved Homeville Camping out to the boondocks so far down, that would be a heck of a lot easier, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, Sun and Fun's been going through their own evolution, and whether you think that's good or bad, um, it definitely affects the way everyone interacts with Sun and Fun. I know that I've stopped going, and uh, I probably won't be back. So I'll just yeah. leave it at that. Well, and it's all small air shows. You know, um, you know back in the heyday, and frankly, before the internet, uh, the small air shows, the at that time, the EAA regional fly-ins, right, were all a big deal. Um, and that's just not the way that people consume the product anymore. And, um, and so, um, uh, they just aren't, um, as relevant and even, you know, you know, they've been making progress trying to grow the Deland show, but you know, still it's for us to go down there with an airplane and take staff out of, out of the office and out of the shop and, and try to have a showing there there's a lot of work we're not getting done when we're doing that when um you know everybody's used to looking at a website and coming to the factory and taking a tour or coming to air adventure obviously uh biggest show in town so uh that's just the the reality today well mark uh you can share this with your team it's something i like to think of in times like that and if you think back to the classic movie of ben-hur if you haven't seen that, you got to go back and, and uh, get it on Netflix and rewatch Ben Hur. Oh, yeah. There is a scene where the main character, he's a slave on a galley and he's there to, you know, row the ship around. And one of his Roman overseers is addressing all of these people that are chained to their oars in the, in the galley. And he says, You are all condemned men sentenced to serve the ship. Row well and you will live. So that's what you tell your team when they want to go to Sun and Fun, as you say, row well. Yeah. You tell them to get back to work. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, it's interesting. On the way back from Sun and Fun last year, uh, Carrie and I have been doing it the last two years. And the way back, the uh, the storied Sonics band, everybody <laughs> knows the conversion band, uh, blew its, uh, its uh, rear differential. And luckily it was in Nashville, so we have a very good friend, somebody who bought a Cub from John years ago by the name of Bill Ivey. Um, and we were able to, Carrie and I were able to stay with him. But I mean, it took several days to get that dang thing fixed and for us to get back to Oshkosh and get back to work. And I think that was it for John. I think the decision was uh, made right there um, at the right after Sun and Fun last year that uh, it's probably not happening this year. And then and then this fall we started, you know, getting bookings and getting really busy. So uh, that just sealed it. Yeah. Well, good, Mark. I think maybe that's a good place to wrap all this up. Uh, we will look forward to seeing you at the booth at AirVenture, seeing that prototype and all of its glory sitting out front. And yeah. really just hearing about the development process. As an engineer, I really dig how the process of evolving from the back of a napkin to a plane sitting on the show line. To me, that's really interesting. And I, I just I love the detail that you put into the updates. So keep them coming. And I want to see it in person. Yeah, absolutely. It's fun. It's exciting. It's what, uh, you know, product development is what uh, – um, um, jazzes everybody at sonics and um, myself included and you know that's we wouldn't be in this business if we weren't all you know um, dreaming up airplane designs you know in our in our early years and uh, we're living the dream 
and um, we love sharing it with everybody. So thanks for letting me uh, come and talk with you. And uh, obviously, we'll see you at Oshkosh and, and online in between. Well, thanks again for coming back and sharing some time with us, buddy. Absolutely. All right. Well, that wraps this episode up. Uh, we have a couple of really good new episodes. And just a teaser for our next one, it's going to be with our buddy Tim Reed. He is going to talk about the last mile. And that is the process of you finished up most of the construction. You're kind of getting uh, – you're running out of plan sheets. But you got a lot of work to do to get it ready to go to the airport and be inspected and all that. So what are all those things you got to do as you kind of wrap up the project to get it ready for that last mile to the airport? So that will be coming up in a couple of weeks. I'm really looking forward to that conversation. You can find this episode on the web and the show notes at sonicsflight.com slash 67. You can subscribe to the podcast, find it on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, all those podcast apps, or you can listen to it right off of the website. Send us an email. You can find our email on the website or send it directly to feedback at sonicsflight.com. And with that, Mark, thanks again and look forward to catching up with you guys in person up there at Oshkosh. You guys as well, of course. Come, come to the, come to the homecoming fly-in. Hopefully, the weather cooperates this year. We need, we need people to come to the factory the day before the show. I, you know, we're due for a, a, a bit of good weather for the homecoming. So I have a good feeling about this year. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, we've we've had uh, some years where we've had just uh, tons of customer Sonics lining up down uh, down the taxiway between our hangars, and it's always a beautiful sight. I we're we're due to have one of those years of great turnout again this year hopefully 2020 is uh is uh, is going to happen for that yeah and I'm, I'm pretty sure john said he was going to be buying free beer for everybody there so you know <laughs> uh, you come get the free beer and uh john by the way that's what you get from missing the episode so just saying buddy <laughs> i'll see if i'll see if he finds out about that <laughs> <laughs> all right thanks again guys and we'll talk to you soon adios Views and opinions expressed on the Sonics Flight Podcast are those of the hosts and guests alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of any individual, company, or organization mentioned on this program. Nothing presented on this podcast should be construed to be the official position or recommendation of anyone not directly associated with Sonics Flight. Anything that sounds like advice should be carefully considered before being implemented. Remember, you are the pilot in command. <laughs> and I actually, I didn't mean John Monette buying beer. I meant John Gillis because, you know, he, he knew he was supposed to be yep. here and he missed it. Well, I totally, I totally missed that. I thought you meant it. Yeah. Well, I'll drink anybody's beer, so it doesn't matter to me. Right, yeah. Yeah, well, we can't have beer at the homecoming. We all got to taxi back over to the field and finish setting up the booth. <laughs> <laughs> Work to do to have beer at that time of day. <laughs> Until later. <laughs>